So, this morning we're going to be carrying on in our series from Hebrews chapter 11. And um, the first, verse 1 of chapter 11 says this about faith. It says, to have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for, to be certain of the things we cannot see. Keep that in mind. And over the past few weeks, we've been hearing about heroes, people of the faith, men and women who have taken incredible steps of faith for God. And uh, the Hebrews was written to inspire us, to inspire us as Christians to be people, men and women of faith. And uh, we're going to look at another story today. We're going to look at the life of Moses. We're going to look at the life of his parents. But before I do that, what I want to do is give you a, a kind of overview of how we get to Moses. Okay, I could have read the whole of uh, Genesis, but I thought probably isn't the time. Um, so I will give you an overview. God created the world. God created Adam and Eve. God created Adam and Eve to have a relationship with him. Okay. God created them and the human race to know God, to walk with him, to love him, to be friends with him. And he provided all of their needs. And sin came into the world. They disobeyed God. They went their own way. They rebelled. And because of that, sin came into the world. And this sin separated us from God. But God, in his great love, in his great mercy, in his great grace, he said, I'm not having that. I am going to create and start a people of my own. And he, as we heard last week, he uh, appointed Abraham, who was a pagan who didn't necessarily follow God. And he said to Abraham, I'm going to, through you, make a people, a people of my own, who will walk with you. I'm going to do what I intended with Adam and Eve through you, Abraham, and through your offspring. And this promise continued. This promise continued through Abraham's children, through Isaac, and then Isaac's children, Jacob, and ultimately, through Jesus, as we put our faith in Jesus, to us as God's people in the new covenant. And one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, carried this on. Jacob had 12 sons, and these 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel, the God's people. And Joseph was a bit of an upstart, and Joseph upset his brothers so much so that they sold him to slavery, and he was taken to Egypt. And so Joseph was a slave in Egypt for a number of years. And then Joseph, through a long story, which I won't go into, and please read it in Genesis, it's worth reading, Joseph became second in command in Egypt under Pharaoh, and he ruled Egypt. And then a famine started in that part of the world. And this famine, it threatened God's people. It threatened the existence of God's people. And in God, in his providence, had thought ahead, and he had sent Joseph to be ruler of Egypt. And Joseph had been asked to get ready for a famine and prepare grain and wheat and corn and everything they needed to, look to survive through this famine. And so Joseph brought Jacob, brought his brothers, brought his family to Egypt, and they were rescued, they were saved, and they did so well. And Pharaoh accepted them, and it says in the Bible that they 
grew strong, they multiplied, they uh, were kind of, you know, God's care, God's love was on them, they were fruitful, they increased, and it was brilliant until another pharaoh came to power. And this pharaoh, he didn't know Joseph, he didn't care about Joseph. And he saw the Israelites, this kind of tribe that was fruitful and doing so well, as a bit of a threat. And so he enslaved them. And worse than that, he put in policies and laws in place where if an Israelite was born, they would be killed. He asked the Israelite midwives to kill the firstborn, to kill the babies that were born, the boys that were born. And the Israelite midwives bravely refused. They said, we're not doing that. But Pharaoh, unrelented, said, well, I'll tell you what, us Egyptians will do it instead. If a firstborn Israelite is born, we will throw it. If a, a boy Israelite is born, we will throw it into the Nile. And this is where we pick up the story in Hebrews. This is where the writer of Hebrews picks up this story. And we hear that Moses was born, and he was born under this threat. And for the first few months, it says for three months, Moses' parents tried to hide him, and they managed to hide him. And I don't know, you know, for all of us who have had children, you could probably do it for a while, but then they start to get noisy. Then they start to get smelly. And it says that they couldn't hide him anymore. And so they floated him in a basket of bulrushes and tar. But cleverly, Moses, they put Moses' sister in charge, and just to keep an eye on Moses, just to make sure that he was all right. And then along came Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter was having a bath in the Nile, and she saw this baby. And Moses' sister kind of stood up and said, hang on a moment, I can, do you want me to find someone to look after this baby? And so she got her mum, Moses' Moses' mum, to look after the baby. And so Moses spent his first few years being nursed by his own mum, and no doubt learning about God's ways, learning about what it meant to be be part of the people of God. And then the time came when he had to go to the palace. And so he was taken and he grew up to be uh, an Egyptian prince. But the Bible says that he still remembered his people. He went to visit his people, he looked on their burdens, and he knew who he was part of. And then one day Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And Moses defended the Hebrew, defended the Israelite, and he struck the Egyptian, killed him, and he buried him in a shallow grave. And he was soon exposed. Pharaoh found out, and Pharaoh wanted his blood. He wanted justice. He wanted Moses killed. And so Moses ran away to Midian, and he lived there for many years and got married and got a flock of sheep and lived his life. And during this time, the people of Israel groaned, and it says in the Bible, they cried out to God, and God heard them and remembered his promise. There's an amazing verse in Exodus where it says, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God knew when people were crying out. And God met with Moses, and God said to him, I've heard my people's cries, you're the right man for the job, and I want you to go back to Egypt. And obviously Moses had a few questions, but eventually he went, 
and eventually he confronted Pharaoh. God caused many signs and many wonders to occur to show his people, his power and his authority, but also to persuade Pharaoh that you can't mess with me, set my people, let my people go. And Pharaoh was a hard man. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so God sent a final and devastating plague to Egypt. On the given night of Exodus, Exodus is another way for, for journey or um, escape, God told his people to kill a perfect lamb and brush its blood over the doorpost, up the doorpost, over the lintel, and this would protect them. For at midnight, God went through Egypt and he struck down every firstborn not covered by the blood of the lamb. And finally, Pharaoh relented and God's people were free. So that's the backstory. <laughs> and we're going to read in Hebrews what the author of Hebrews says about this. So if you'd like to turn to Hebrews 11, verse 23. And uh, we're going to read it. It will come up on the screen as well, if you um, haven't got your Bible with you today. So the writer of Hebrews says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to their reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now I'm going to look at this morning three moments of crisis, three moments of great stress in Moses and his parents' lives. Now, stress is an often overused word in our society, isn't it? How many times do you hear someone say, oh, I feel really stressed, I've burnt the toast, or something like that. Um, but I'm talking here about kind of real moments of stress where you're knotted up inside, where you're unable to sleep, where you can't think straight, where there's a kind of emotional, you know, kind of inside you're emotionally knotted. And we have here three moments of stress. We have, first of all, infanticide, so the mass killing of children. We have here a decision, a life-defining decision that Moses had to make. And we have here the impending judgment of God on a nation. And in each of these three moments of crisis and stress, we see that faith made the crucial difference. And we all face moments of stress, don't we? We all face sometimes in life these crises. Now, it could be temptation. It could be our faith is challenged or questioned. It could be that we have to make a tough decision like Moses did. It could be illness. It could be hardship. It could be the ups and downs of family life. Crisis will happen. We live in a world that is fallen. We 
we daily we have to battle our own desires, our own fleshly desires to sin. And the devil will seek to destroy us and destroy our faith. Jesus said, in this world there will be tribulation. Persecution and pressure will come. And the question I want to ask this morning is, how do we react in those moments? From the lives of Moses and his parents, I believe that we can really draw from them how they acted in great crisis in faith. And I believe that we can learn from them how we can endure ourselves, how we can endure, how we can keep going, how we can persevere as Christians in faith. Young people, you've had an amazing week. In three or four weeks' time, don't want to break the news to you, you're going to go back to school. (laughs) And this is real for you. How will you endure when you go back to school? How will you take steps of faith in God when you go back to school? Well, the first way is we stand. In verse 23, um, the, the writer of Hebrews says this, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Crisis one was infanticide. There were two threats. There were threats to children, specifically Moses, and there were threats against the parents. The Pharaoh was saying, if you disobey me, you're in trouble as well. I'll kill you as well. And what did Moses' parents do? Moses' parents, they faced the crisis head on and they took their stand. Moses' parents, when faced with something so terrible as infanticide, said, enough is enough. We're not having this. And they risked their lives for their child. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to stand firm, whatever the crisis. Stand firm against temptation, using the Bible, using God's word, the truth, to help us against the lies of Satan. Stand firm against sin. In Jesus, you are no longer a slave to sin. You are now a slave to righteousness, to goodness. Stand firm in that truth. Stand firm when relationships test us. The Bible says that we are to stand firm in unity, in one spirit, under one head, Jesus. Stand firm when times are tough in our lives. God works for the good of those who love him. Stand firm when it's tough, knowing that God is working for us in the background. Stand firm against injustice and ungodliness. There's so many things in this world that you just think, that is wrong, that is unfair, that is not godly. The Bible says, be steadfast, be immovable, abound in the work of God. Stand firm for goodness, for godliness. Steps of faith in whatever area of life They require us to take action, to make a decision. Enough is enough. And the writer of Hebrews in the previous chapter, in chapter 10, says this. We are not those, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are those who have faith and preserve our souls. And this isn't kind of like the traditional English, stiff upper lip, you know, I can do this, hiding our emotions. It's not that at all. It's not trying to deal with a crisis and our own strength. You know, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. No, it's not. 
This standing firm is faith, saying, I've got a crisis, and I'm going to seek God in this crisis. What is your will, God, in this? And it's saying, I'm going to put my hope in you, God, and I will stand firm. Whatever the crisis, knowing that God is bigger, knowing that he will make a way, knowing that he will sustain me, knowing that if we stand and endure, he will reward us. The second thing that Moses' parents did was that they, they um, loved God and they loved others more than they feared Pharaoh and the crisis that was at hand. And this caused them to stand firm. The passage says they were not afraid. So in faith, they hid Moses. I love this line in, in, the verse, in verse 23. It says, they saw that the child was beautiful. Moses' parents risked their lives for their child because they loved it. They loved another person, and they were prepared not to be self-seeking. They were prepared to die to rescue that baby. Their love caused them to stand firm. Their love for others caused them to stand firm. What does God, what is God, who is God calling you to love? Who has God put on your hearts this morning? Where do you need to stand firm for that person who needs your help, needs your support? And they loved God and they loved his ways. Their actions were saying, we are not going to be governed by Pharaoh's threats. We're not going to be governed by the fear of death. We will put our hope in God, in his promises for our people, in his promises for our promised land. And their love for God caused them to stand firm. And thirdly, Moses' parents, they faced the crisis with godly wisdom. A cynic might say, well, was it really faith, hiding a baby in a bulrushes and asking a sister to stand guard? No, shouldn't they just walk through Egypt holding a baby saying, God will protect me? But Moses' parents were real, weren't they? They took an incredible step of faith. They risked their lives, but they applied godly wisdom in doing it. Paul says to the Colossian church, he says, For this reason we have always prayed for you, ever since we heard about you. We ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will and with all the wisdom and understanding that his spirit gives. As we take steps of faith, it's wonderful to know that God gives us wisdom and knowledge and understanding to do these steps of faith, to endure through these steps of faith. And this will mean different things for different people. Bringing up children in this world takes an enormous amount of faith, doesn't it? But we can't hide them away. We can't overprotect them. We can't closet them away from this world. We send our children out in faith. But as we do that, we take godly steps of wisdom in doing it. We prepare them. We equip them. We support them to flourish as young Christians in this world. Being a Christian in the workplace takes faith. God may prompt you to speak up or against an attitude or a principle that's not godly or challenge gossip or worldly thinking. Do so. I encourage you, do so in faith. But exercise God-given wisdom in doing that. Peter writes in 1 Peter, 
in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Take steps of faith, but do it with gentleness and respect. I want to read you a, a story of someone who stood to someone in my family. This is my grandmother, and uh, she has always been, she's died now, but she's always been an inspiration to me as a woman of God who stood in faith. When she was 31 years old, and she'd been married for nine years, her husband, my grandfather, died, leaving her with five children under eight. And it was just after the war. There was no welfare state. The rationing was still happening. And this is what she wrote about the situation. Keith died at night, and the following morning, when I was reading my Bible. I mean, doesn't that say it all? <laughs> I was definitely directed to Psalms 42 and 43, where one verse is repeated three times. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Everything about that verse seemed to speak to me. I was cast down, I was disquieted, but the promise was, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Had it not been for my five children, I could have happily died myself. But the children needed me. I had lost my husband, and they had lost their father. Many thoughts were running through my mind. How was I going to manage without Keith's regular salary coming in? So that verse was so appropriate. Hoping God, that was all I could do. Incredible, standing in faith, standing in God's promises, loving other people more than my need, standing in faith. The second way we endure is we remember our reward. It's clear from the account of Moses' life that he knew who he was, he knew his people, and he went to visit them. And then, like his parents, suddenly, this crisis hits. Enough is enough. He sees this, this, Israelite, this uh, Egyptian beating up this Israelite. And he says, I've had enough of this. And he reacts. What are my values? My values are being tested. Who am I? Something breaks in him. And he takes an action that defines his life. And he defends the Israelite, and he kills the Egyptian. His action is found out, and it's a crisis. What do I do? Where do I go? Pharaoh knows I've killed one of the Egyptians. And he's forced to make a decision. Egypt or God? And he had to leave. He left Egypt. He left for Midian. But he didn't leave out of fear. He left because he saw something better than all that Egypt had to offer. Something had changed in Moses' heart. And the Bible doesn't say exactly when, but this was the moment of crisis that made him stick his flag in the ground and say, I'm with God's people now. And I think Moses could have saved himself, if I'm honest. He probably could have called in a few favours. He was the grandson of the Pharaoh. Could have, you know, hid it away. Blamed someone else, probably. But he didn't. In faith, Moses chose God. He chose it rather than the wealth 
and the treasures and the fleeting pleasures of Egypt. He chose to, to stand and endure with God's people. It says that he refused to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That is Pharaoh's grandson. He, he refused power. He refused privilege. He refused fame. He rejected the fleeting pleasures of sin. Can you imagine what was on offer in Pharaoh's palace? Probably wine, flowing, food, sex with anyone you wanted. He rejected all of that. He rejected the treasures of Egypt, wealth and money. Instead, he chose to be mistreated. He chose the reproach of Christ. He chose a greater reward. He put aside things that are temporary for a greater reward. How did he do this? Well, the Bible says he did it by faith. And as we look to God in faith, we look to his reward, we look to his presence, we look to all that he brings, we look to all that he offers, we look to his glory, we look to his power, we look to his forgiveness, we look to the life, the peace, the joy, the strength that he gives us. This is our reward, and this faith in this allows us to say no to this world. He saw something than all that Egypt had to offer. He saw God. He saw his people. He saw his promised land. He ultimately saw his eternal reward. And young people, again, I'm going to keep on talking to you this morning to keep you awake. He, last week, you saw something of your reward. <laughs> You saw a glimpse of what it's going to be like for eternity. Keep that in mind when you go back to school. All this world has to offer can be so enticing, can't it? But it won't satisfy our needs. It won't satisfy our desires for self-worth and love. We can only find it in knowing Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, it was announced that, this is going to age a lot of us in this room, it was announced that Queen's Greatest Hits was the biggest selling album of all time in the UK. Okay? One in four households in the UK have a copy of Queen's Greatest Hits. Anyone want to put their hands up? Who's got a copy of Queen's Greatest Hits in your household? I have. There's a few kind of like, you know. I don't believe you. Anyway. <laughs> also, Queen apparently hold the record for the largest concert in history. 250,000 people in Rio de Janeiro. Anyone from Rio here this morning? Anyone from Brazil here this morning? Yay, there are, yeah. <laughs> Queen's lead singer, Freddie Mercury, when he died, was worth 36 million pounds. That is in 91. So correlate that to now, that's a lot of money. In fact, today, even now, in 2022, Queen still make 30, 39 million pounds a year. And it reminded me of a quote that you may have heard in, if you've ever done the Alpha course. If you haven't done the Alpha course, we're going to do another one soon. I'd recommend you go on it. And this is what Freddie Mercury said. He said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization, 250,000 people worshipping him in Rio, no doubt, and millions of pounds. But it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Now, as far as I'm aware, 
There are no multi-million pound superstars in this room. If you are, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. <laughs> but Freddie Mercury's story is a high-profile story of how this world, its treasures, its fleeting pleasures, they do not satisfy. But isn't this what we all have to contend with? You know, put Freddie Mercury to one side. Even in, in our simple, normal lives, we live in an ambitious world, don't we? Pushing for wealth, pushing for belongings, pushing for your forever home, pushing for love, pushing to be known, pushing to be recognized, pushing for praise, pushing for security. And people will pursue this at whatever cost. Let's not be fooled by this world. We are called to something greater now, and by faith, we take it. Our vision for this church is to grow and plant and take the good news of Jesus to Ipswich and beyond. And I ask these questions for my, to myself, and I'm going to ask them to you this morning. Are we prepared to move house to do this? Are we prepared to give our time to do this? Are we prepared to share our money and our possessions to do this? Are we prepared to die to ourselves to have the best relationships? Are we prepared to die to ourselves to have the best marriages? Are we prepared to die to ourselves to do whatever we can to teach our kids God's ways? And to follow Jesus will mean persecution, will mean mistreatment. Jesus said it would happen. The Bible evidences this. Brothers and sisters around the world experience this. It's a fact of being a Christian. You will be mistreated. You will be laughed at. You will be misunderstood. You will be misrepresented. This is normal. This is unavoidable. Many of us in this room would have, would have experienced it. But our reward in Jesus is far, far greater and this is what Moses understood. This is why he was prepared to put aside everything Egypt had to offer. Peter writes in the Bible, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Jesus has made us alive. And we see that incredible thing that Jesus has done in our lives now. But you know what? There is something greater to come that is kept in heaven for all of us. It's imperishable. Everything in this world has a tendency to decay and lose order and become less structured. But we can look forward to a new heaven and a new earth that will not decay that will not lose order. It's unspoiled. Everything on this earth, even the most beautiful things, are flawed. We've, as I said, we spent a week in Scotland looking at incredible scenery, but there was still evidence of burning and dis destruction and rubbish on the floor. In a new heaven, everything will be unspoiled. Revelation 21 verse 27 says that nothing impure will enter heaven. Our inheritance is unfading. In Revelation 21, verse 5, Jesus says, I am making everything new. We have an enduring inheritance that never gets tired. It doesn't depreciate. It 
doesn't lose value, doesn't start to rust or look tatty. And this is reserved for us, kept for us. There is a crown of glory for each one of us with our name on it, waiting in heaven if we persevere, if we endure. We enjoy God's blessing here, but our, our true inheritance, our true home, is reserved for us in heaven. And God will dwell with us. There'll be no tears, there'll be no death, no mourning, no regret, no pain. And Paul encourages us, and I think Mark Etheridge brought this, word, this verse this morning. Don't fix our eyes on what is seen. Don't fix your eyes on the treasures of this earth, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, we saw this, Corrie and I saw this for first hand a few weeks ago. We went to Cambridge, we went to visit the Fitzwilliam Museum, and on the ground floor, they have their Egyptian collection. It was fascinating, but it was dead, it was chipped, it was moth-eaten, there were a few dry bones in a box, there was an artist's impression of what it might have looked like, do you think Moses got the right idea? <laughs> he left that. He left that behind because it wasn't lasting. Compare this to the people of God. Compare this young people again, wherever you are, <laughs> to what you saw last week. Compare this to the church. God ways. It's alive. It's growing. God's in our midst. God's changing lives. He's bringing peace. He's bringing hope. And this is only a glimpse of what is to come. And when push comes to shove, and this is the challenge, where will you put your flag this morning? Will you be like Moses? And will you say, my flag's with God's people, not Egypt. I'm with God, not Egypt. And this may mean persecution. This might mean being laughed at. This might mean losing face. This may mean losing money, forfeiting things that this world chases after. This may mean making unpopular choices that are hard, are tough. This might mean standing out in a crowd. This may mean giving up your time to serve others. But your joy and your fulfillment will be eternal. And lastly, thirdly, and quickly, we look to Jesus. The crisis was God's judgment. Verse 28, it says, By faith he kept the Passover. Moses kept the Passover. He sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Can you imagine being Moses? Can you imagine being one of God's people on the evening of the Passover? They knew what was coming. God had told them. God had said, I'm going to kill people. I'm going to destroy this land, destroy the firstborn. Can you imagine as they put the, the blood over their doorposts, over their lintels, thinking, I hope this works. I hope God is faithful. I hope it is true what he's saying. Can you imagine as they put their firstborn sons to bed that night, thinking, I hope this blood does work. And of course, it did. God was faithful. God was gracious to them. And God passed those doorposts, those households over. But he did destroy every firstborn in Egypt. 
that was not covered by the blood's lamb. And to me, this is a devastating story. This isn't just a nice Bible story. This is devastating. To me, as someone who loves God and knows God and knows he loves me, this tells me not to mess with God, to take him, to take his ways, to take his commands seriously. And of course, this is a picture, isn't it? This is a forerunner of what is and what was to come. God has made a way for us to know him, to be saved from our sin, if we humble ourselves and come to God this morning through his son Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, in our place, the perfect lamb. He rose again three days later, defeating sin and death. And the Bible is clear. If we put our faith in Jesus, in his blood, we can have peace with God. We are forgiven. We can serve God with a clear conscience. We can enter the presence of God. But Jesus was also very clear about the fact that there will come a day of judgment where everyone will have to face God and give an account of their lives. And on this day, those who are not covered by the blood of Jesus, those who have not put their faith in Jesus, those who have not made a decision to live Jesus' way, will be separated from God for eternity. One day, God will judge this world. There is a crisis coming to this world where injustice and ungodliness will be dealt with. And on a personal level, we will all have to stand before God one day. But as followers of Jesus, like the people of Israel, like Moses, we stand in faith. We stand in the wonderful, incredible work of Jesus on the cross. Now, if the band would like to come up, that would be great. And uh, if you'd like to all stand, please, that would be really great. And we're going to end by singing a song. And uh, I just feel God has really put a few things on my heart to really kind of just share, really, and ask, ask some questions to everyone. If we'd like to just be in a, in a place of kind of receiving from God and really listening, and if you'd like to close your eyes, maybe, if that helps, and just to really think about what I've been talking about, what God's been saying in the meeting this morning, and uh, some, think about some of these questions. Now, I really believe that God um, has, is, has, is saying, has said to me that there are some people here who are in times of great crisis, great stress. And God wants to encourage you to stand firm. There's a verse in Ephesians that says, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. And God wants to encourage you this morning that in this moment of crisis and stress, he is working behind the scenes. He is able to do far more than you can ever imagine. Bring that crisis to him. Ask God for his wisdom. Ask God for his understanding on how to handle this situation in faith. Is God calling you to a step of faith this morning? And uh, I had a picture, I had a dream last night of um, a family that were moving away from a house 
And one family member was calling them back, saying, come, come, have a look at this. Look, the drain pipe's leaking. So they all came back, and they looked at the drain pipe, and they were like, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> come on, let's go. And I just feel God may be saying to someone here who they know that you know God is calling you to take a step of faith. Don't get caught up in the detail. You know, seek me in faith. Take steps of faith. And then I want to ask another question this morning. Where is your flag this morning? Is it with God or is it with Egypt? So as we sing this song now, let's really come to God. And if you feel that God is speaking to you this morning, then you know, pray with the person next to you. Respond, come and talk to me, come and talk to Tim, to Len, to Dan. Come and talk to the team over in the corner. And finally, I just feel God really wants to speak to one or two people in this room. And those who you know God's judgment is coming one day. And if you're honest, you're thinking, that's quite scary. I'm not sure that I know I would be happy to see God today. Well, God wants to say to you, Jesus wants to say to you, come to me. Come to me in faith. This is the day of grace. This is my day of love for you. There is, there is, this is your moment. This is your opportunity because I have done all that is needed to save you from your sin for you to know me. Come to me this morning. And if that's you, I would love to talk to you this morning. Let's sing.